So a couple weeks ago, I uh, returned from Ethiopia. I was there. I was working alongside a couple of our global workers, Jeremy and Teresa. If uh, you're relatively new over the past couple years uh, to freedom, uh, you might have heard, but I worked with them uh, actually before I worked here. I was there for six months. I lived in Addis Ababa uh, for a little bit um, and had an incredible time there. And so it was really great being able to go back and uh, work alongside them once more and visit a bunch of friends and people that just felt like family uh, for a little bit. Um, on the flight back... So we actually, we have to stop over in Dublin, Ireland, uh, because it is such a long flight over the ocean that we just have to stop, go on the ground on the tarmac, and they fill it up with fuel, and then we are back on our way. And so we are on our way from Addis Ababa to uh, Dublin, Ireland, and we are just entering, you know, into Swiss airspace. We're over top of the Swiss Alps. I wish I could have seen it, but it was the middle of the night, so I saw absolutely nothing. But what I did see and hear was the familiar sound of the seatbelt sign. And so we heard the sound of the pilot come over uh, the speakers, and what we heard was, ladies and gentlemen, we are about to experience some turbulence. Please fasten your seatbelts. So we're like, okay, cool. So strap up. Everything's good. Well, until about five seconds later. And experience turbulence, we did. Because we dropped about 6,000 feet in a very brief period of time. We dropped multiple times. It felt like a roller coaster. And all of a sudden, revival broke out on the plane. Like, I kid you not. Like, there was audible prayer from, like, 90% of the plane. Like, and I'm not even exaggerating. Like, it genuinely sounded like there was people praying all across the plane. There was people praying in English, people praying in Amharic, people praying in tongues, I'm pretty sure. Like, who people were calling out on the name of Jesus. Like, the lady in front of me, all I hear from her is, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. Like, whew, revival broke out. Now, my row, you know, the two gentlemen that were sitting beside me and myself, we were just kind of silent, and we looked over at one another, and we're like, we gave that kind of nervous smile, like, well, this is how we go. <laughs> it's great knowing you, gentlemen, that I have no idea what your name is, but uh, it's an honor to be with you today. <laughs> and so we are all, you know, we're going down on this plane together, but we are one family now. <laughs> but in moments like this, it causes you to really reflect on your life. Like, really, like, what have I actually accomplished with my life? All of a sudden, you know, well, not 12,000 meters in the air, but now we are 10,000 meters, 6,000 feet lower. Um, but at 10,000 meters now in the air, I'm starting to think, yeah, what have I really accomplished? I all of a sudden have this, like, quarter-life crisis here. And I'm like, okay, like, am I, like, truly happy with what I have done with my life up to this point. And you're like, okay, and you start to like check off the boxes. Like, you know, I've been to college, you know, I accomplished that, you know, I got my bachelor's degree, you know, that was a pretty good accomplishment there. I, you know, lived overseas and I worked alongside some incredible people there. You know, that was pretty cool. You know, I have a great family and everything. You know, I have an incredible church, you know, that I've been working on for the past few years and great students and everything. You know, I guess that's, you know, that's pretty good. Um, but like, what else? you know, is there? You know, what habits do I have in my life that I'm like, man, I really wish that that was different? And so, you know, it really makes us, you know, stop and think about our life on the grander scale, you know, of things. Now, 
How many of you have been there before? You know, maybe you're not dropping 6,000 feet, you know, in the air, but like how many of you have been at that point where you experienced like a momentous, you know, part of your life where, you know, maybe you experienced great loss. Maybe it was like you finished college or university or maybe you switched jobs or maybe you lost a job and you're like, what am I going to do with my life? What have I done with my life? And usually it's in those big moments or those moments of great change that we start to think like that. Now, in the middle of, you know, whatever job that we have or in the middle of university, usually we don't think like that. It's just kind of like we settle into a rhythm and we get comfortable. You know, we don't question any of what's going on. We're just like, okay, these are just the daily rhythms of life. These are the habits that I have and I don't think about it. But when we really stop to think about it, have the habits in our lives that we partake in every single day, are they actually good habits? Are they actually things that we can be proud of? Think about it. Everybody here has habits in one way or another. You know, every single person before they came here this morning, they probably had some variation of the following happen in order to get here. You woke up, you probably went to the bathroom first, you probably grabbed a drink of water, um, which felt like heaven in the morning, and then you probably maybe had a coffee even if you opted for coffee over water, I would advise you to start drinking water in the morning. <laughs> but then you probably took a shower. You woke up your kids if you have kids and got them ready. You know, you got them dressed, you got yourself dressed, you know, you had breakfast or maybe not. Um, and then you brushed your teeth, piled in the car, and then you drove to church. But there's probably some variation of that that you did in order to get here this morning. And probably for the past about 20 years or however long your life has been going on for, you have done that exact same thing every single week in order to get to church or when you wake up to go to work in the morning. So we all kind of settle into these things. You might be able to add a few minor details in there, but chances are whatever you did was probably pretty similar. Now, it's probably even to the point where this morning, whatever seat that you were sitting in right now is the exact same seat that you were sitting in last week. And it is probably the same seat that you were sitting in the week before that and the week before that. You're not really sure why. You're just like, this is my seat. You know, it has my butt imprint on it now because I've been sitting here for so long. But we are humans. We are creatures of habits, you know. And because of this, you know, habit formation can cause far-reaching and lasting effects through our life depending on what habits that we form. All right? So we have... Good habits, we have bad habits, whether we like it or not, they are in our life, whether we realize it or not. And I'm sure, you know, you're thinking of other ones that you have at the moment. Now, living in the society that we do can cause a bit of confusion when it comes to trying to create a healthy lifestyle for ourselves. Because often, we receive this mixed messaging, especially in the Western world, that tells us, you can have or do whatever you want. You know, as long as it isn't hurting anyone else. Why not? Live as you please. Take all that you want, especially, you know, in Canada, in America, you know, in Europe, you go to places like Walmart, you go to the grocery store, and there is a million different types of items on the shelf. You know, you have, you live in a land of abundance, so it's just like, take as you please. Do as you want. That is the Western society in a nutshell. You know, and then people, whatever you choose to do, they're probably going to agree with you. You're like, you know what? Yeah, do as you please. Terrible sleep schedule? Ha, don't we all? Unhealthy eating habits? Same here. Turning to food, alcohol, or porn as a coping mechanism? Hey, that's your business. 
You know, and then on the flip side, you scroll through social media for all of five seconds, and the opposite messaging starts coming through that you are nowhere near good enough. As soon as you start scrolling, you see videos of those people that wake up at 4 a.m. every single day, and they've read a full book, they've gone to the gym, you know, they've made a nice homemade breakfast before the sun even touched the horizon. You know, we see these people that just seem to have it all together all the time. And so simultaneously, we are told that you are perfect right where you are, but also you are not good enough at all. And we're just like, I'm sorry, what? Where, where are we at? Where am I at? I'm not really sure. You know, but as followers of Christ, there is a different way. One of freedom and a holistic approach to a healthy, physical, mental, and spiritual life that comes out of self-control and discipline. And today we're diving into the next part of our Mixed Messages series. This one I titled, Shape Up. Don't worry, no boot camps involved here. So we're gonna take a look at Daniel chapter one, verse three to 20. You can find it in the YouVersion Bible app under events, and then go to the more and events tab, where you'll find our church, and we'll also have the scripture on the screen behind me here. So, Daniel one, 3 to 20. Let's read together. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen, from, were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them their new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. All right, so this is going to be fun. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved to not defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So we agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. When we dive into the reasoning behind Daniel's rejection of the king's selection of food, it is fascinating to me the reasoning behind why 
he didn't accept it. On the surface, it simply seems as though Daniel was keeping in mind the Levitical food laws when it came to the food being offered, much of which would be considered ritually unclean. But it doesn't explain why he wouldn't simply accept the parts of it that was clean and the wine, which would have been completely fine for them to drink as well. But by the Eastern standards at the time, to share a meal was to commit oneself to friendship. It was even to the point of covenant significance. By eating the food, he would have committed himself to the allegiance and obligation of loyalty to the king. It's likely that it wasn't the ritual defilement that he feared, but the moral one that may have gotten in the way of Daniel fulfilling his primary obligation to the God he served. Daniel had access to the best of the best. He had access to this vast amount of food, mouth-watering spreads of all he could imagine. Yet his response was self-control and discipline. He chose to honor God even through what he ate and ensured that his allegiance was to him alone. Here in 2023, we in the Western world have access to all that we can imagine. As I said earlier, you walk into any store, you have your choice of any type of selection, anything you want, you know, a king's ransom of options, if you will. We gorge ourselves out on food, on alcohol, and on anything we can put our hands on. You can have it all. Now, don't get me wrong, it's okay to enjoy food. You know, I was just at the Super Bowl party, so I can't really talk. Um, But often, our relationship with it is borderline gluttonous, if not actually gluttonous. You know, our relationship with food and other items can turn unhealthy when they begin to become vices for us or the other end of a coping mechanism. As I mentioned earlier, we all have habits that we've built over the years, and that includes what we do when we are coping with things in our lives. Now, instead of giving our allegiance to a king, as Daniel resisted, we instead give our allegiance to things like these unhealthy coping mechanisms. Usually, we turn to these things in times of high stress or anxiety about something. Some of us turn to food. I definitely was there in college. Um, Others to alcohol. Others to pornography. Others still to, well, insert your choice of vice here. And then those things start to become the king of our lives. Daniel knew that even tempting it a little would lead down a path away from his relationship with God, and we would be wise to recognize the same. You see, self-discipline and habits are incredibly interconnected and have major impacts on our walk with God. If, you ever, if you've ever done a little research about habit formation, you may have come across something known as neural pathways. Dr. Susan Riek had this to say about the subject. The research on neuroplasticity, otherwise known as the ability of our brain cells to change and reorganize, reveals something extraordinarily different. The research on neuroplasticity is exciting because it shows that creating new behaviors is possible through all stages of life by rewiring the brain. Pathways in the brain are made by connections between neurons. When a behavior is formed, the connections between these cells change with the frequency of the behavior performed. These neural pathways are like grooves in the roadmaps of our brain. The more frequently we travel the road, the stronger and more second nature the behavior. You can practice traveling down new roads or neural pathways by performing a new behavior with frequent repetition, connecting new beliefs to support the new behavior as well as visualizing a positive outcome resulting from these new behaviors. Just because we have created rigid neural pathways and behaviors over many years does not leave us trapped to repeat those habits forever. We can 
create new pathways by participating in new activities and developing new behaviors. It is important to practice repetition of the new activity to help the pathway become stronger with the greater number of times the brain cells fire to conduct the new activity. The wiring together of brain cells makes the new behavior feel routine and easier over time. It requires about 10,000 repetitions, translating to a minimum of three months of practice to develop a new neural pathway and master a new pattern of behavior. This time frame can fluctuate as each brain is unique. Now, this can work in multiple ways. You know, in other words, as Dr. Riek said, these neural pathways would kind of be like a trail. You know, first it's covered in brush and grass and weeds. Then over time, as it is consistently traveled down, that path becomes clear and much easier to travel, forming these habits. So on the negative ends, you know, these coping mechanisms of ours in the land of abundance where everything is at our fingertips can turn into addictions such as alcoholism, gluttony, pornography, social media addiction, gambling, and, you know, so on and so forth. But the good news is, is that we are actually able to rewire our brains. Just as these negative habits form, we can just as easily form new paths with healthy and holy habits. And that is just incredible to me. You know, despite living in a fallen world, God wired us in such a way that we weren't lost to our addictions and vices, but rather with God's help, we're able to reverse the course and experience freedom from the things that once held us down. And going back to the story of Daniel, the next king was about to appoint Daniel to oversee the whole kingdom. The other administrators and satraps became jealous and conspired to find a way to get rid of him. And because Daniel, he was so trustworthy and without corruption, there was only one thing that they could possibly do, and it was to convince the king that they were going to institute a law that they could not pray, they could not worship any other god or human being except for the king. And if they did, they would be thrown into the lion's den. And notice Daniel's response in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He literally knows what is about to happen to him. But because of his intense spiritual devotion and discipline to pray three times a day, he does it anyways. What happens? Well, exactly as expected, he is arrested and thrown in the lion's den despite, being, despite the king knowing that Daniel is without fault in this situation. The next day, as the king ran back to check on him and he opens the den, Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you. Your majesty. Now, I want you to notice something about Daniel. First, he honors God with what he ate and what he drank. Then, he honors God with his devotion and discipline to him and spending time with him in prayer. And then, as he, put, as he is put in the lion's den, he is at peace mentally. He has no worries. All of these are interconnected. When we're able to fully devote and surrender every part of our being to God, he is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine in our lives. Physical health and mental health and spiritual health can all lead into and aid the other when our lives are wholly devoted to God. Even the spiritual disciplines that we are meant to be doing on a consistent basis 
you know, have physical benefits as well. And I find this fascinating. You know, we've seen the rise of fasting, you know, within the fitness and nutrition industry. And you'll probably hear, you know, buzzwords like intermittent fasting and all this stuff. You know, but we know that fasting has actually been practiced for millennia by believers. You know, and I couldn't help but think of that when I was watching the show Limitless with Chris Hemsworth. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I would highly recommend it. It's a fascinating show. But in one of the episodes, he, it is centered all around fasting. And the whole point of the show is he's trying to figure out how to prolong his life as much as possible and live a long and healthy life. And so in this episode that was centered around fasting, just listen to the benefits that come from it. Three to four days is the window in which we do enough to change how your body's interacting with the absence of nutrients to basically do a reboot on your system. Food contains glucose, the fuel that feeds the trillions of healthy cells in our body, but that glucose also feeds something else, zombie cells, old damaged cells that have lingered beyond their useful life. By spewing toxic sludge, these zombie cells infect the healthy cells, speeding up the aging process. Everything from hair loss to wrinkles, the onset of arthritis, cancer, and dementia. But what scientists have realized is that when we fast and cut off this supply of glucose, that zombie cell is starved of energy, which saps them of their power. When food is plentiful, our body stores up excess energy in the form of fat under the skin and around the internal organs. When food is scarce, that fat is sent to the liver, where it's turned into an alternative fuel source called a ketone, and it's these ketones that provide the emergency power source not only for our bodies, but also for our brains. And along with an energy boost, it seems ketones also sharpen mental focus, sharpening your senses to a point you wouldn't normally be able to perceive. So something that's been observed for millennia by believers is actually providing physical health benefits as well. I'd argue that physical and mental health is very closely related to our spiritual health when we're honoring God with that part of us as well. In a land of abundance, when we surrender our earthly desires, wants, and cravings, we can experience the freedom of walking with Jesus away from addiction and overindulgence. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says it like this. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Self-control is incredibly important. Or as we heard from Pastor Tracy last week, as she mentioned the verse from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. We have one master, and his name is Jesus. Although you may have the opportunity to take as you please, you know, much of the time, we aren't to be mastered by anything on this earth. No addiction, no vice, no coping mechanism or bad habit will ever be able to stand up to him when we humbly submit our whole selves to him. We serve one God, and his name is Jesus. The thing is, temptation will come, and we will have to cling to him in the midst of it. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It is only by his strength that we will overcome the things that the enemy tempts us with. This is why it is crucial that just as Daniel did, we have to devote ourselves fully to God. Practicing the spiritual disciplines, no matter how, many, how busy we get. I know you're going to say, well, okay, Pastor Ethan, you're single, you don't have kids, you know, you can't possibly understand how busy life gets. Well, that may be, 
You know, but the thing is, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter if you're in high school, if you're in college or university, if you're in the workforce, if you do have a family, or if, you know, you're married, you know, things are going to be busy. There is always going to be something on your plate. And here's the thing, like, it's only going to get busier. You may ask, okay, well, how do I make time for that? Well, we are just going to have to make time for it. You know, and I know you would probably say, you know, it's not just that simple, except, well, it really is. What we prioritize in our lives, we make time for. And the busier life gets, I'd argue, the more that we actually need to be leaning into the presence of God and seeking his wisdom and guidance for what we need for that day and for what we need for the next day and the day after that. We need to be leaning into his presence with everything that we have because we need him in this world more than ever. Now, before anyone or anything in our lives, we need to ensure that Christ is at the center of it all. This is the thing, you know, as life gets busier, as we start to pile on the things, as we start to move to different stages of life, you know, and those things do get busy, Christ is still supposed to be at the forefront. He is still supposed to be number one. He's not supposed to be behind our work schedule and our family schedule and our spouse's schedule and all that. No, 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 he's actually supposed to be number one because out of our relationship with Christ, a healthy relationship with Christ flows out healthy relationships in every other area of our life. That is who is supposed to be number one in our life. And we need to have discipline. We need to have self-control. You see, self-discipline and self-control require one to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Doing the things that you don't feel like doing when you know it's going to be beneficial in the long term. And just as I close, I'm going to call the worship team back to the stage. You know, when we are constantly told we are fine right where we are at, and that whatever vice we have is all right, our identity begins to be rooted in what we struggle with. And that is a very dangerous path to go on. Because many of us spend so much time stuck in these addictions, stuck in these vices in our lives, that that starts to become part of who we are and we start to identify with it because that's what's become comfortable. And we can never let that happen. See, we never fully embrace the freedom that is found in Jesus by surrendering our lifestyle over to him. You know, may we know that our identity, it's not in a struggle, it's not in advice, it's not in addiction, it's not in any of that. Our identity is one as a child of God. It is not found in our struggle or anything else in this world, but rather in the one who freed us from it. Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. Although we were beautifully and wonderfully made, we live in a fallen world where we sin and mess up. But we don't need to stay in the depths of our sinfulness. The same God who beautifully and wonderfully created us also created a way in which there was a beautiful and wonderful breakthrough in which the chains of sin were broken. We don't need to stay in the situation that we're in. And I understand that there are different circumstances, there are different unavoidable you know, medical you know, cases that come up within our lives, and I completely understand that. And God is absolutely able to work through doctors. He's absolutely able to work through counselors in our lives. He's able to work through all of that. But we need to understand that it's like, God, he is the great physician. We can also trust him for miracles in our lives where these things that are holding on to us for so long can be let go, can be handed over to the king of kings, can be handed over to the one above all. We serve a great and powerful God. And when we fully surrender everything in our life over to him, including our physical life, including our spiritual life and our mental life and all of that, 
that is when we're able to start walking in freedom. It doesn't mean that there's gonna be a pain-free life, not at all, but we are able to have freedom in walking with Jesus. So this week, you know, may we re-examine what it means to live a life of physical, mental, and spiritual health anchored in the one true God that we serve. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for how you speak to us through your word. Father, I pray that as we leave here today that we would reevaluate the habits within our lives, that we would know that our identity is completely found in you. That even though we might feel insecure about who we are, we might feel like we're not enough, Father, we are more than enough because of you. Not because of anything that we did, but because of you. Because we are a child of God and we can find our identity in you and we can be secure and confident in that. Father, I pray that we would be willing to surrender every part of our life, every habit that we have over to you, Father. Every, you know, physical part of our life, every, you know, mental part of our life, every spiritual part of our life. Father, I pray that we would just lay it all at your feet. Father, that we would ask you to just take control of it from the beginning to the end. Father, those things that we've been holding on to for so long because we felt so comfortable in them, Father, may we begin to loosen our grip on those and hand it back over to you. Father, I pray for freedom in this house today. Father, may people know that they don't have to stay where they're at. Father, that there is a path to freedom. Father, there's a better life with you. And Father, I pray that we all seek to live that one. So Father, I pray today for just a house of surrender. That we would give everything we have back to you. We praise your name, Father.